0: Hello, and welcome back to another Mission Baby. We are still on a mission to help you in any way we can to navigate this often complex world of fertility.
1: When I got married, I told my husband, it may take us a year or two. It didn't occur to me that it could even take as long as it did.
0: Fertility rates had fallen dramatically. Many countries are now on the verge of a baby bust. Infertility is extremely common. There are over seven million people in the country who are experiencing infertility. These are doctors. We believe what doctors tell us. Infertility is considered a disease, and many of these couples don't know what to do or where to turn. This is a doctor that holds my happiness in his hands.
1: Everyone who has contacted us with support and questions, we absolutely love hearing from you. Your journeys and resilience are just incredibly inspirational.
0: In this episode, we are going to really dive in and try to get some answers to challenges that so many men and women face. Today, we have a fantastic consultant with
1: us who's going to help us answer some of your questions. Yes, it's our first male consultant on the podcast, but we thought when it comes to male infertility, hearing from one of the leading male consultants in the UK makes sense. Yes,
0: we did. So welcome, Dr.
1: Abramov. Welcome. Thank
2: you. I'm very pleased to be here and I'm flattered to be the first male
1: <laughs> a consultant. You must to be very special. <laughs> you are very special. <laughs> Thank you. Tell us a little bit about how you came to dedicate your life to trying to help people conceive.
2: So it actually started at the end of my um, medical school uh, years. Something changed in the IVF scene. This was the dawn of micro manipulations of uh, procedures done in the lab under the microscope to improve the chances of fertilization in cases of severe male factors of fertility. At the time when I was reviewing the literature and writing my dissertation, we had been too concerned about the negative outcome that just sticking a glass needle into the egg and injecting one sperm into it procedure called ICSI that we now do very often, uh, that this procedure might have a detrimental effect on the egg. So we tried all sorts of um, procedures that were not that invasive and I was writing about those when at some point someone claimed that accidentally uh, he went through the um, surface of the egg and injected the sperm into the egg and fertilisation occurred and babies started Um, being born as a result of this procedure. Uh, So it revolutionized what we can do in cases of male factor subfertility. Up to that point, if uh, men had very, very low sperm counts, their chances of conception with IVF, with standard IVF, uh, during which you only incubate the eggs with the sperm overnight, and you hope that at least one egg will uh, manage to get into the egg and fertilize it, the chances of uh, fathering a child with this standard procedure were very, very slim.
1: We have a lot of questions for you
0: from our listeners. So where do we start, Simone? Let's start by asking you about male infertility. I read an article recently which said that in most couples trying to conceive, half of the time the problem appears to be with the woman, and half of the time the problem appears to be with the man. This may be Quite obvious to you, but I think to a lot of women, this comes as a bit of a shock actually.
2: True. We start exploring the contributory part of men uh, in that equation called fertility, and we reveal more and more uh, interesting findings. So, generally speaking, we tell men they have an issue with their fertility when we find that their sperm count is low, or the motility, the percentage of sperm cells in movement, is low or that the morphology is suboptimal. There's only a very small percentage of sperm cells that look normal under the microscope. But apparently, that is not necessarily the end of the story. Sperm has got one task, and that is to deliver the male DNA, the genetic material, along a certain journey outside its body, so that it can fertilize the egg. And Apparently, the way that the genetic material is packed within sperm cells has an implication on its ability to end up with a successful pregnancy. So newer tests, such as sperm DNA fragmentation, has been developed. They look into the exact way that the DNA is packed within sperm cells. And if there are flows in the packaging system of DNA in sperm cells, apparently it may have implication on the chances of conception, sometimes even in men who have normal sperm counts. Mm. So what do we know now that we uh, possibly did not know a few years ago? We know that in cases of unexplained subfertility, all those cases who were told, you know, we find nothing wrong with you, sperm count is all right, the female partner is ovulating, tubes are open, there's no endometriosis, uh, that a high proportion of those couples actually suffer from occult male factor subfertility when the issue is with uh, sperm uh, DNA fragmentation. We also find that possibly sperm DNA fragmentation is responsible for a good proportion of miscarriages. Some years ago, we discovered that children born with Down syndrome, we always thought that Down syndrome originate in the chromosomal abnormalities occurring in the egg, but we know that at least a third are actually of paternal origin.
0: That is fascinating. It really is. But my question to you, if you find out that that's a problem... Is there any way to solve it? Or at what point would you suggest the couple do this test?
2: So the use of sperm DNA fragmentation is still controversial. It has not made it yet into the core practice of IVF. So this is not uh, the type of uh, test that uh, is presented, for instance, to patients uh, having fertility treatment under the NHS, Rightly so, the NHS would want a good body of evidence to emerge before they adopt an intervention. In private practice, again, it is not part of the baseline battery of tests that couples would be offered. But when we now see patients who have repeat IVF failure or recurrent miscarriages. I think there is a growing pattern, Uh, there's there's a trend of offering this uh, test to to those couples so that we can possibly um, use certain interventions which can improve sperm DNA fragmentation or improve sperm DNA integrity.
0: And what are those interventions?
2: So a lot has got to do with lifestyle. Mm. Uh, Obviously, there are certain things that uh, can lead to Sperm DNA damage, uh, things like smoking, uh, excessive alcohol intake. Diet probably has got an effect on DNA damage, and that would also include the DNA damage to sperm cells. Mm. So these interventions are probably important. But there are some other things that you should pay attention to. Is there an occult infection in the male genital tract? An infection can cause what we call an increase in reactive oxygen species. Reactive oxygen species are chemicals that can damage DNA. Uh, One of the used to be widely used chemicals that has got reactive oxygen species is peroxidase, what women used to. Yes, exactly, to bleach hair. It bleaches hair because it causes DNA damage.
1: Chemical reaction, yeah
2: an inflammatory process will increase the concentration of reactive oxygen species and cause DNA damage.
1: Gosh, so you're essentially saying that anything inflammatory can have an impact. So it could be diet, it could be sugars, inflammatory, it could be, as you say, smoking, recreational drugs, infections, anything that that causes an inflamed body could potentially have an impact on Correct,
2: correct. And when we come to diet and maybe use of supplements, then having a diet that is high in antioxidants Mm. or taking antioxidants, vitamins that have antioxidative effect can fight the effect that reactive oxygen species may have on sperm DNA integrity. Wow. The other things that are worthwhile looking for, if we have men with high reactive oxygen species, you can run a test on the semen to see if it actually contains a high level of reactive oxygen species or if we have high sperm DNA fragmentation. It's very often worthwhile looking for a possibility of a varicocele. A dilated vein around the testicles. So and it's this a, is
1: particularly common in, a, in quite a lot of men?
2: It's common. It uh, used to be the practice to operate on men, but the practice had been abandoned as a result of the invention of Fixie, because it did not appear that the correction of varicocele really increased the pregnancy rates and fertility specialists said, why should we bother? We have a handful of sperm cells and we have some eggs and we do ICSI and we get pregnancies. But it transpired that that's not right in all cases. Mm -hmm. You do get fertilization with ICSI. You even get the pregnancies. But the question is, do you get ongoing pregnancies each time you have Mm -hmm. a pregnancy and do you have deliveries of live babies? There is now an emerging body of evidence to suggest that if you have clinical varicocil, if the varicocele is significant, it is associated with a higher risk of sperm DNA damage simply because the drainage of blood from the testicles is affected if the drainage of blood from the testicle is affected, there is buildup of toxins mm-hmm. around so the sort of testicle. So it makes common sense. So, yeah. so, so it makes sense that if you improve the drainage by removing that dilated varicose vein, or um, sometimes we don't remove it, we just inject something into it to uh, obliterate it, so you can improve sperm DNA integrity. And that's now becoming another pattern of testing male partners for the presence of varicocytes if they have a reactive oxygen species or high sperm DNA fragmentation and having a lower threshold to offering them surgical treatment or some sort of procedure to alleviate the problem.
1: Gosh so many questions it's fascinating but talking about more inflammatory factors stress must be a huge impact on, on, on male. I mean we see it definitely in women. Does would you say stress has an impact as a lifestyle factor, an inflammatory factor?
2: It might do, stress is difficult though.
1: Of course. Difficult to sort of
2: difficult to quantify, measure, yeah. quantify. And the issue with stress especially in men, is that it is associated with a certain lifestyle. If you are running a stressful job, then you're a little bit more likely to smoke and you're a bit more likely to have a drink or two. So it has a, a bit of a, a domino,
1: domino effect.
2: <laughs> you probably exercise less and you probably eat unhealthily too because we binge eat when, when, we, when we are stressed, uh, don't we? So it's very difficult to actually isolate the effect that stress alone has on, on men, on, on patients in general.
0: So what I get from everything you've said, though, is that with signs of DNA fragmentation, there are options to improve the sperm quality. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. I guess I'm comparing it to eggs, OK? So if, if a woman is found her eggs are too old, to put it crudely, that really is the end and she would need to look for donor eggs. However, if there's an issue with the man, potentially it can be improved.
2: There's a fundamental difference between men and women. Women do not produce eggs. They are born with a reservoir of eggs. And therefore, when at a certain age, when the, or when the egg reservoir is severely depleted, there's very little that the scientific world can really do to improve circumstances for women. And men constantly produce sperm. And this is why older men can still father children, men in their 60s and 70s may father. The lucky days, The
0: lucky day. <laughs>
2: um, the sp- The sperm cells that men produce develop for about three months. So
0: mm-hmm. it
2: is sufficient that during those three months, they binge drink or they do something that can affect the quality of the sperm. And then when they produce it for treatment, the, the quality of the sperm may not be great to give them the desired outcome. If you restore it, it is very likely that the next three months, the next six months, you will actually improve the quality of sperm. And this is what we work on. Myself, and I think there are other consultants there too, have resorted to not rushing to offer patients or couples fertility treatment before we actually tick that box too of knowing What is the quality of the sperm that is going to be produced on the day of the female partner egg collection so that we have optimal chances of successful treatment?
0: Would you say that in your practice you give it as much attention as the woman's side?
2: I'm working on it. (laughs) I think that, um, you know, I feel that I'm a bit of a reformed gynecologist. This is the story of male factor subfertility. Up to the invention of ICSI, there had been actually quite uh, extensive research into sperm quality and, uh, and all of all, all, all aspects of sperm quality, I would say. Uh, there were extensive studies of electron microscopy of sperm cells uh, that is looking at sperm cells are under very high magnification to learn about certain defects and so forth. And when ICSI was in- invented, the incentive to carry on studying it was kind of lost. Right. Until we started understanding that getting fertilization by ICSI, and as I said, even getting uh, to a point that pregnancies happen... It's not the end of the story for all those couples who present with male factor subfertility. So there was a bit of a pendulum movement, which now shifted back into looking into male factor subfertility with a little bit more uh, of a um, um, fine tooth comb.
0: I'm really grateful for that change, actually, because ICSI is great But it's not the end of the story, is it? And again, the the major parameters that are normally looked at regarding male sperm, as you mentioned before, so the concentration and the, the motility and the volume and all the main four factors, it's not the end of the story. And sometimes people can depart a clinic or a hospital, the male thinking he's absolutely fine and the problem is therefore with the woman. But we know that it's helpful sometimes to dig a bit deeper. So I'm, I'm grateful that the fertility world is coming back around and, and DNA fragmentation is getting bigger.
2: You're absolutely right. And there's another aspect to this discussion, and that is that men tend to be left out during that process of IVF treatment. Mm. So it's a paradoxical thing, really. You, you come to the fertility clinic and you see a doctor because there's male factor subfertility, but then... Mm. All the treatment is delivered to the female mm.
1: partner. Yeah, the focus is always on the women.
2: As one of my colleagues once put it, men become vehicles of sperm <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the purpose of yes, IVF. Yes, they do.
1: Uh, yes, <laughs> they do.
2: <laughs> and and that's that's not right. It's not no. right because Having male factor subfertility is a health issue. It's a health issue because there's also more and more evidence to suggest that men who have suboptimal sperm counts are more likely to have a whole host of other health issues or that they are at a higher risk of developing other health issues. So I think we need to start paying more attention to that and not just say, "Okay, all right, you have male factor subfertility, let's do IVF or ICSI Mm. and, and get you that baby. I think we want to see what can we do to improve what happens in the male body around that issue of a reduced sperm count.
0: So what kind of illnesses, ailments might subfertility, semen be a precursor to?
2: So, for instance, we know that uh, bad lifestyle can uh, cause sperm issues, but bad lifestyle can also cause lots of other issues, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes. So, seeing seeing a patient who is in his 30s with low sperm count, who is probably a little bit overweight or, frankly, obese... A smoker, uh, um, his alcohol con- consumption is slightly above what you would think is the healthy threshold, is 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 an issue. You need to address those aspects of his health because if you don't, uh, he will carry on and at some point he will develop hypertension, mm. heart disease, mm. his um, risk of cancer might be higher too. Uh, There's another thing that we 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 miss speaking about, and it's very important: frequency of intercourse. Frequency of intercourse has got an effect on sperm quality. Of course, stagnation is not good for sperm, and you would be surprised to learn.
0: No, I wouldn't. (laughs) I
2: really wouldn't. How low frequency of intercourse is is in some of our patients? Really? Because of a whole host of reasons. Lifestyle, jobs, and um, relationship issues. Mm-hmm. And being told you have subfertility doesn't help your sex life.
1: Mm, no, no, it no. really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. no. so, so let's get to the nitty gritty. Like what, what, how often should intercourse be for optimum sperm? If we
2: see someone who has high sperm DNA fragmentation, the bare minimum we do is we tell them, start some supplement treatment, take oxidants. There are a few formulas in the market with some evidence to suggest that they can reverse sperm DNA fragmentation. And we tell them to have frequent ejaculation. How frequent is frequent? I tell couples try having ejaculation three times a week.
0: That's quite a lot. (laughs) For for a busy couple, I'm thinking, my gosh, where would you find the time? But again, if if you
2: want to do things in in the right way, rather than telling them, no one likes to have intercourse when someone points a gun to their their head.
0: It kind of takes away the romance. (laughs) It really does. I (laughs)
2: tell them, spice up your sex life. I I love that. (laughs) That's the best thing you can do for yourself. Yeah. Spice up your sex life because it will possibly help you with your sperm quality. But also because what we will do here for you is likely to ruin your sex life. (laughs) <laughs> so if you preempt it by yeah. doing things, so take a few more weekends away. Yeah. Uh, do, but I don't need to tell you what to do, but do no, but whatever. I love this.
1: I love this advice. It's, I think it's, I
0: think it it makes it's under. It sense though, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and you were speaking about supplements for oxidative stress. And I know they all come with differing levels of um, research. Normally it's quite small groups that have been used to produce the research. But would you point your couple's Towards the supplements, or would you really stress the lifestyle changes?
2: I would stress lifestyle changes because, in any field of, of medicine, preventive medicine is the best medicine. So, if you flag up certain habits that the patient has which can contribute to sperm uh, DNA damage, you want to first of all remove those. And it's, I know it's difficult, smoking cessation is not easy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There are ways of doing this. Diet and losing weight and having a he- healthier um, diet is also not a very easy thing. But professional advice, seeing a nutritionist who can tell you what to do, what kind of tricks to use, etc. Mm. is helpful. And we have access to some fantastic professionals. Mm. There. And
1: it's an easy win as well. I think it's a very easy thing to do, just to change an element of your diet and look at nuts and selenium and and the minerals that are seen to help with
0: sperm. I mean, I know it can be hard to make a lifestyle change, but just to go back to the fact that for men, you can see a massive change after three months in the sperm quality after lifestyle changes so it can sound really harsh if a doctor's saying you know you need to cut down on your alcohol and maybe have less takeaways and you know look at your lifestyle choices but it doesn't take long actually to see amazing results so you can
2: Last week, I had a patient who had seen a colleague of mine, a urologist who um, specializes in a treatment of uh, men with subfertility. And my job had already been done mm. because the initial uh, sperm DNA fragmentation test showed high scores. And this guy took it seriously. So he reduced weight, he started exercising. Oh, he's a good his, one. Yeah. Changed his <laughs> diet, <laughs> Fantastic. reduced alcohol intake. And w- you could see through two... Um, additional sperm DNA fragmentation test, the scores has wow. dropping. And
0: that's, that's uh, I think that's, that's phenomenal. Yeah, that's, that's phenomenal. incredible. Now, we were touching on this earlier before we started recording. Is there anything visual? I know with a normal semen analysis, there's something quite visual. You can show a couple what's happening with the semen sample. But with DNA fragmentation test, is there anything visual that can be shown?
2: You normally have a score. So it's a percentage. right. But what I found uh, really helpful is that you can put the score on a scale because also you you need that scale to counsel patients. And, you know, so it's very difficult to interpret the results in layman's terms and tell them where they are at. So if you put it on a scale, you tell the male partner, your sperm DNA fragmentation is here. Ideally, it should be there, but you're not that long out from what is considered to be a normal range. So if once you see see that on a visual scale, I think it makes it easier for you to actually have a target, have uh, something to aim to achieve. So we use that very often.
0: One of the challenges is knowing how helpful that could be. In practice, for many couples, it's just another thing to pay for without realising how important it can be. So I think wherever any couple go, they have to have faith and trust in the clinic they choose to go to and know they wouldn't be recommended to do it unless it could help.
2: It's a very good point. I think that we have a duty to educate not only the patients but also fathers-to-be. We have a duty to educate uh, doctors too we have to start relating to male factors of fertility as a health issue. Mm. Once we do this, we will be able to offer men interventions that would perhaps lead them to having the families without interventions such as IVF and ICSI.
0: So it could actually save money in the long run.
2: And perhaps also contribute to the health of the child. Mm. We know that babies born to older men have a higher risk of autism. Now, why is that? We don't don't know. But it is possible that this is an outcome of years of insults, put it this way, to their production line of sperm cells. So this is something we need to take on board. Uh, We need to think, what do we do with men who cannot have a family now, and they are aging, should we not think about sperm freezing for those men? We need to think about when should we perhaps start offering men an initial sperm test to see whether they have indeed a low sperm count. And if it's low, maybe doing some tests to see what is the reason to that would be useful. And maybe freezing sperm, because the test Suggest that this is going to be a downhill process is also something we should consider.
1: This is so refreshing. It's 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 so fascinating because the onus has always been on women and egg freezing and, and age for women. And yet, you're saying now, which, is, which is, makes complete common sense, we should be actually looking at men and, and, and freezing sperm. So in terms of the age that you would suggest to start doing tests for men, what is the optimum age? And is there a particular age for optimum freezing as well? Or is this very bespoke to each man?
2: I don't have answers, unfortunately, to those <laughs> questions, because I th- the issue is that we have paid so little attention to this aspect of fertility that we don't have the data to tell Mm. you when would it be cost-effective to screen men for their sperm quality. Is it in their late teens? Is it in their 20s? Is it in their 30s? But I can tell you from experience that it is not very, very rare to see men who initially have a very low sperm count and then find at some point along the line that the very... Little you could find in the semen is gone and Mm. they become what we call azospermic, meaning they have no sperm cells in their ejaculate. Once this kicks in, the only way of getting sperm is to obtain it surgically from the testicles or from the epididymis. But it is perhaps the case that if you diagnose those men with low sperm count early on, you can freeze sperm and then make it a lot more likely for them to have children in the future and certainly maybe spare them, not unnecessary, but spare them an expensive and, and, and a painful, painful
1: yeah.
0: and
2: emotionally uh, difficult procedure to go through.
0: Of course. It seems like complete common sense and a wonderful security. I'm thinking as a society, people often focus on women's want or desire to be parents. But I think it's helpful to look at it as a whole. And young men do often dream of one day being a father as well. I just think the conversation quite often has been focused on the woman's desire, but it most definitely speaks to young men and they would have the desire too. So it's a perfect security option for them.
2: I completely agree with you.
0: And,
1: And talking about the conversation, I know we've spoken about the language used with a lot of the treatments with women in the consultation room, but I know that you're interested in the language used for men in your practice.
2: The difficulty we have with men is that they don't talk much, do they? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I get a lot more feedback feedback from my from my female um, um, patients about how they would have wanted me to phrase things, maybe a bit differently. And I'm I'm very open to that. I love it when when someone feels comfortable with me and she says, you know, the other day you told me that, and actually. I wasn't very comfortable with the way you, you phrase it. And, and we learn. The, the day I stop learning from my patients is the day that I will probably retire.
0: <laughs> all credit to you. Yeah, so, absolutely. All credit to you. absolutely.
2: The difficulty with men is that you, you don't learn much because they hardly talk. Telling men your sperm count is zero is very harsh.
1: Mm. Very harsh.
2: And especially when it is presented in a way that, you know, it has no preparation or... And zero is something you don't want to use when you communicate such information to, to a patient. You have to be very careful with your wording. You don't go in another field of medicine, completely different field of medicine. You don't sit in front of a patient and you tell him or her, you have cancer. That's not that dissimilar. This, the, you know, Telling men that they have no sperm cells in their ejaculate or that the sperm cell is of a very low count is a life-changing event. Mm -hmm. And the doctor who delivers the news has to be aware of that, that this is a life-changing event. Of
1: course, the the duty of care.
2: So the wording is very, very important. Even before we get to that point when you break bad news to the patient, you see couples and you spend a long time taking history from the female partner and then you write a few words Uh, a few sentences about men which is not right Mm. and very often I think doctors forget to ask them a simple thing will you be all right producing a sample in our production room yeah it's not to be taken for granted
1: you just just kind of underestimate it's it's a lot of pressure
0: yeah it really isn't and everybody is different i think the funniest answer i've had to that question is um simone i've been practicing since i was 15 years old for this moment but on the flip side you know that there's many there are a, a number of people i can think of who really really struggled and it's so important to find out before the actual day of egg collection so some people see the semen analysis which in most places, will take place before. Many people will see it as as often an inconvenience, but it's so important because not only does it need to be analysed, but we need to know that actually on the day of egg collection, there's going to be a a partner for the eggs.
2: Absolutely. And uh, and the difference between just the semen analysis and the production of the sample for the purpose of fertilisation of the eggs is that when men produce that sample, their partner is in theatres or in recovery, their stress levels are at a different scale to what they they had been when they just produced a sample for for a test. And we need to understand that. We need to be uh, empathic to it. And there are alternatives. The pressure. The pressure, exactly. And there are alternatives. It does not have to be in the production room. It can be in a hotel room nearby the unit. If you live nearby, it can be at home. If you don't discuss this with your patients, you find out about it when it's a bit too late and the poor man cannot produce.
0: Mm. Mm. We use the term stage fright, not Mm. to put it mildly. You know, you can be the best actor who goes out every single night and performs brilliantly. And then on one occasion, you just get hit with stage fright. Just to say one other thing, if there's any problem with production, um, there's often the option of freezing before.
2: You can freeze Um, sperm before, that's a very good point.
1: So when it comes to freezing sperm, how does it survive the thaw and how much of it does?
2: It's a good point. We prefer to use fresh sperm, but it's okay to use frozen. Let me remind you, almost all donor sperm cycles... They are frozen samples Okay. and they produce babies. When you freeze sperm, you always take a small fraction of the specimen and you do a test though on it. So the test though can alert you whether the results of the freeze thaw process uh, are not detrimental to the quality of the sperm. If there are, you need to start thinking about alternatives. But more often they are not. More often, the, the survival is actually fine.
0: Fantastic! It's well worth to know. I think that can take the pressure off sometimes mm. as well. Again, often there's a price tag attached to it because it's it's people's time, it's lab time, it's materials and everything but oh, if if the issue is there it's an urge anybody just exactly. be honest with your treating clinic and um, know there's an option
2: yeah exactly openness here is the key uh, the report you'd establish with the male partner is very important i want men to be able to say listen, mate, I think I'm going to struggle there. Mm-hmm. And then once they say that, you can then prepare, you can then have a frozen sample as a backup. I don't suggest you do this universally to all couples because as you said, it's, it's, it's workload and there are costs associated with this approach. But if you are able to just flag up when this is becoming an issue, then you can take measures to make things much better for the couple.
1: So, Dr. Braff what would be your three pieces of advice for any male about to start fertility treatment?
2: Firstly, that they should talk. They should talk and express any concerns they have, any anxieties they have. They should be forthcoming. Yeah. Uh, that helps the process in terms of conveying any history, lifestyle habits and so forth. I don't always take it for granted that they will be open about it in the presence of their partner. It's okay to mention it at at a different stage in the treatment as long as you share it with your consultant and you seek advice. Don't keep it for yourself. The same thing is true for when things get rough. It's all right to feel anxious. It's all right to feel depressed. The fertility journey is, for many couples, a very long, dark tunnel.
1: Absolutely,
2: and you want to have someone as bad as it may sound for many men. you want to have someone to hold your hand it's okay. you are not less manly if that's what you require, and this is very important. The other thing that I would suggest is that you take um, good care of yourself, you eat well you i don't I don't ask men to stop having alcohol altogether, especially if the sperm count is all right. But I would say reduce it. Enjoy it. Don't overdo it. Stop smoking. Stop any recreational drugs. And I would say have sex. (laughs)
0: <laughs> fine pieces of advice i think that would be music to many men's ears actually. <laughs> <laughs> thank you those words are so reassuring so we're all trying to be a bit more green these days and healthier uh, and healthier, we're, and, healthier <laughs> and we're being encouraged to stay away from our cars and maybe get on a bike to get us around but we do know that this can have a detrimental impact on semen quality
2: to an extent if you cycle daily uh, and you cycle a short distance, I don't think that this is something you need to be truly very concerned about. But if you cycle a lot, that might have an effect on your sperm count. How do we know this? The data comes from triathlon athletes. Right. So triathlon athletes, they jog and they cycle and they swim when they exercise. And we found that the degree of sperm Deterioration did not relate to the amount of time they spent swimming or jogging, it related to the amount of time that they spent cycling. We don't know exactly why this is the case. We don't know whether this is because of the tight clothing you wear when you become mm. s- professional or semi professional cyclists, whether this is the saddle, the uh, heat, maybe the heat, the saddle. We don't know, but we know that it has an effect. So I would say, like many of the other things we recommend, if you do this and you enjoy it, I would not take it away from you, but do not overdo cycling.
0: So basically, don't cycle for long periods of time. But cycling every day isn't necessarily a problem, but it's the length of time per day that you spend.
2: That's correct. If, okay. if one cycles 20 minutes to work with uh, and then 20 minutes back, I don't think that's going to affect them.
1: Okay. So helpful. So, so helpful. interesting. I mean, we've covered so much and it's just been completely enlightening. So thank you so
0: much for coming here today, Dr. brown I really hope that men listening to this will take a lot of positives from what they've been told ultimately there's many different avenues that you can go down to resolve the issues even if you do have a semen sample where the results are low there are quite often options for you and ultimately it's a three month rule again Mm. in three months so much can change (laughs) and it's good to talk and be open it is good to talk if you want to know more about some of the things we've been talking about, have a look at our show notes for further information and support.
1: Do get in touch with us on Instagram at the Mission Baby Podcast or on email themissionbabypodcast@gmail.com. Keep the faith. Keep the faith.